Hey everyone, and welcome into CollisionCast, FenderBender's official podcast. I'm digital multimedia editor Noah Brown. FenderBender staff writer Paul Hodawanek has been incredibly busy on the SEMA show floor in Las Vegas this week, and has been able to get some great interviews that we'll play for you here in just a couple seconds. To start off, Paul caught up with Daryl Amberson of Lemetri's Collision and asked about the energy of the conference, an update on the annual CIC meeting, how the collision industry can establish a better working relationship with insurers, and much more. All right, and welcome back. I'm Paul Hodawanek, staff writer for Fender Bender, and today we have president of operations for Lemetri's Collision, Daryl Amberson. How are we doing today, Daryl? Very good. Very good. Thank you. Well, this we've had a couple a day of SEMA now. Um, I know you've been to many in the past. Uh, how does this one compare? I think everyone's was not quite sure what to expect in terms of attendance, what it was going to look like from your perspective. What's what's it been like? My observation, it's. Uh probably attendance half or two-thirds of what it was pre-COVID, but there is an additional energy and uh, uh, an appreciation for being back out and being active again. I think people are enthused, have missed it, and are probably even more engaged and uh, excited about being here than, than before. And you were in the CIC meetings yesterday uh, throughout the day. How were those? It sounded very productive from what I was told, and from, from the members I spoke with at the CSE reception yesterday, sounded like one of the better meetings they felt in a long time. What, from your perspective, how did you view it? I would tend to agree. And, and we had, uh, frankly, very good attendance, all things considered. And, and ironically, uh, almost, the registrations almost doubled in the last week. I think there are a lot of people kind of hanging back, not quite sure what to expect. So they, I know even I didn't set up my travel till late just because I wasn't sure what events and receptions and all those things were going to be happening. Feedback on CIC was very good, and I, I really want to commend our committees. We've got some awesome committees, uh, a lot of really good technical information, deep, a lot of uh, great experts on artificial intelligence, LIDAR, things like that that uh, I thought were very powerful presentations. Uh, great presentation from the uh, Education Committee on uh, uh, a wonderful story on a, a kind of a turnaround for a VOTEC uh, that, uh, that has enhanced their program and starting to ramp up uh, attendance, you know, or getting um, students in there. And, and some other presentations are just very good. Um, governmental committee talking about uh, regulation of uh, uh, marijuana in particular, but other drugs that, that uh, they're seeing a specific correlation in some of those states now changing these laws to numbers of collisions. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, a lot of very good presentations. And, and again, the feedback from the attendees was very good. I know you moderated an OEM insurer panel yesterday. Uh, I guess I just, from your perspective, like how can the industry encourage, engage more insurance companies into, you know, more of a transparent com communication with them? Like, I'm sure that was a big proponent of the of the seminar yesterday. Just what do you have to say on that? I think it's one of the most important things that we could do. We all play in the same sandbox, and the more we can talk and discuss our common issues and work on them together, the better the industry is. It's... Um, I can't overemphasize the importance of it. it. It can be delicate. Yesterday while I was moderating, I was uh, carefully trying to listen to what they were saying. I wanted to do follow-up questions that would be offer valuable content to the, the uh, attendees of the event. But at the same time, I wanted to be respectful and not alienate every, anyone. And so to some extent, I was, uh, felt like I was dancing on a fence a little bit. Um, and I thought we had good candid conversations and that... Um, I think part of the value in doing something like that, too, is they can hear what we're saying at the same time. So I'm hoping that they take back to their people some of the concerns of the industry, and, and same with the OEs, and 
we're not on the same page on a lot of topics, but the only way we're going to improve it is through discussion. Yeah, and how do you make sure you have that candid cons- discussion? Because I know it can turn into a shouting match pretty quickly. Correct. And you were walking that line yesterday. How do you how do you make it candid and productive and you know not negatory to the because a lot of times you go in hoping it becomes productive and then it gets even worse after the conversation so how do you make sure it's candid and positive it can yeah and 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 again that's that's a difficult line to walk and you know just as an example all the participants in that uh, that panel discussion had to clear it with their companies including their legal departments before they could do this uh, we shared a list of questions, but yet they also understood that I was going to elaborate on each question, and they were prepared to do that. And, you know, of course, I promised I'd do it respectfully, and, and, that, uh, and that I felt the need when we went into a question-and-answer period to control the environment to the point I didn't want anybody coming up and get into a shouting match. Thankfully, nobody did. And I think part of it is I'd like to think we set the right tone of uh, professionalism, diplomacy, yet being candid. So even, uh, you know, for example... When one of the people during Q&A came up and said, well, I don't have to be as independent as you, and I'm going to bring up this point. But he did it respectfully, and, and I think he made a point well taken. And, and the insurers listened, and uh, I thought their reaction was professional as well. You know? and, and I think that, that's what we need to do more of. We need to minimize the emotion uh, and, and instead talk about the facts and, and, uh, and talk, more and more talk and talk about what can we do together. Instead of throwing rocks at each other, you know, where can we find some common ground? How can we you know, find solutions that we can all live with? Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Switching topics just a little bit, I know there was also an AI estimating panel session that mm-hmm. happened yesterday. I'm wondering just some of your biggest takeaways from that in, in general, like how to reduce the skepticism of it in the industry, because I think that from the collision repairers I talked to, very skeptical of AI and what effect it could have on their business. I'm just generally your biggest takeaways from that part of the panel yesterday. I get it. You know, through insurers and other industry events, I've heard a lot about how artificial intelligence is being used to minimize expense for the insurers. And I've seen evidence that where they're using it to, as a tool to audit our estimates and look for ways they can reduce cost. And I, I've kind of half teasingly but half seriously talked to some information providers and I said, you know, we send you big checks every month. You spend part of that developing these new tools for the insurers to find ways to pay us less, you know. And so I get that frustration. I think a lot of what came out yesterday, though, is AI is being used for a whole lot more than that and that there are opportunities to use it for improving the customer experience. And for really true to that mission, uh, I think there's a lot of value in it. And I know for myself, uh, for being involved in the industry a lot, a lot of things came out yesterday, uh, how AI was being used, that I had no idea it was as far along as it is and, and to the extent that it's being used. And, and I found that very powerful, and I hope the audience did too. We had some people with great expertise on it, and, and they're doing some amazing things. And some of the information, if you notice, came from... Um, international activities. You know, for example, Tractable quoted some stats and things that they're doing in Japan and, and uh, Spain. And, and I want to uh, include some of that in CIC going forward, too, not just focusing on what we do here, but there are things going on in other parts of the world that, that we can learn from as well. And I think it should really be all about learning and making ourselves better, always trying, uh, achieving uh, or striving for excellence. I think we should focus on that. Any other major takeaways you'd just like to highlight from the meeting yesterday beyond the AI, beyond the, you know, the insurer OEM panel for someone who wasn't in attendance, couldn't make the virtual session? Just any other big takeaways you'd want them to know about? 
Well, we haven't mentioned the EV session, too. Again, we had a couple uh, presenters with immense expertise, and they... Um, Fascinating, uh, fascinating, and also it was a little sobering when they talked about the um, the extreme safety concerns on this. They, they got a little graphic in terms of uh, you know the potential negative consequences if you don't uh, adhere to all the safety uh, standards, as well as some little idiosyncrasies you got to pay attention to to make sure the batteries are really disarmed. I thought that was powerful as well. Fantastic. Well, Daryl, I really appreciate your time with me. Enjoy the rest of the conference, and thank you so much. Very welcome. Thank you. Up next, we've got a conversation with SCRS Executive Director Aaron Schollenberg about how the show is going, some updates on awards that have been handed out, and about some of the training available at the conference. With me now is Aaron Schulenberg, Executive Director for SCRS. How are we doing today, Aaron? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me here, Paul. Yeah, happy to have you. Uh, we're, in, we're enjoying day two of SEMA at this point. We just got done with SCRS's uh, red carpet awards breakfast. Um, just talk to me a little bit about that, how it went, and... Just, I know you guys are very happy and appreciative to put it on every year and just to have everyone come and to honor some, some fine people in the, in the collision space. Absolutely. Well, I think it's important to recognize that it's actually the Collision Industry Red Carpet Awards Breakfast. So SCRS is proud to be one of the sponsoring organizations and host and putting it together. But really, that breakfast was designed to be this place that any industry organization could come and really recognize greatness in the industry. And it has been... Uh, just a really phenomenal event to be a part of. I think it's really heartwarming. You can tell in the room just the vibe of, of, of people who are in there that are there because they care about this industry and each other and driving it forward. So I think this morning was no different, and it was just awesome to see a room filled with smiling faces and I think some surprises during the awards. Yeah. Uh, just in general, Seema, how are you enjoying the conference? I think there was a lot of wondering on what it was going to look like, what intent attendance was going to be like, if it was going to be a ghost town, if it was going to be out there from the people I've talked to. It sounds like they're pre pleasantly surprised with how many people are here from your perspective. How has this one just felt different, if at all? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that we wondered. We I think we were really confident going into this, and I think walking through the show floor is just... Uh, really validating to see the industry showed up, right? Uh, you walk around and the companies that that are here to serve the industry are all in this room. Uh, it's full of people I, and, and yeah, it feels like a traditional trade show. Um, it, it feels like exactly what you would expect from SEMA. All the spark and the energy and excitement is there. Um, and I don't think it could have gone any better. I've gotten a lot of really positive response as well, uh, both to the education programs as well as to the show floor. Uh, and we're excited. We're, we're really glad that the industry showed up for the people who wanted to be here and are ready to move on and start having these live events again. It's important for the industry. For sure. How does just from an SCRS perspective, did much change in what you brought here in differing? Did you add stuff, new stuff? Like, just take me through SCRS's presence here this week. Sure. I think familiarity was a really important key for us this year. We wanted people to come back to an event that felt a lot like what they came, what they expected out of SEMA week. Um, so Monday, our education program kicked off. SERS has been delivering repairer-driven education since 2010 here at the show. Uh, Monday is the kickoff of that, and the RDE sessions run Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, Tuesday, also coinciding with that is the Collision Industry Conference. I was in that room some yesterday. That room was packed as well, which was really very exciting to see. Um, it's a nice return to normalcy. Wednesday morning, this morning is the breakfast. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, on Thursday, we have our OEM Collision Repair Technology Summit, uh, which is, while the classes are all about tangible 
solutions to everyday challenges. The OEM Summit's really more about forward-facing emerging technology, what, what the future of this industry looks like for those who really want to embrace it. Friday, we'll have our Ideas Collide Showcase, which we're really excited about. It's a TED Talk-like event uh, where we have 10 speakers, 10 minutes apiece, kind of running through some really creative ideas on how the industry could be better. And Thursday night, we have our after party uh, in the Sky Villa Suites. And so it's, it's, it's really just uh, the week looks very similar, but just as exciting as it's ever been. And we're glad to be here. Yeah, you guys are staying busy through it all. Every, <laughs> something every day going on. Um, I was chatting yesterday with um, one of the, the VP of events for SEMA. And, you know, stuff has moved around now with renovations in this building. Yep. The collision hall is in a different spot. And there's more of it. And... There, and what he emphasized to me was we want it to be more, especially for those collision repairers, a spot where they can come for training and for it to kind of be an all-around thing. They're not just coming to see the new products and see the new cars and the cool cars. They're, they're coming to get training that helps them for their business. I mean, you guys are doing that here. Is that something you're seeing from SEMA in general and from you guys you're hoping to make this kind of an all-in-one spot where they can come get that cool product info, see the new cars that are coming out, but then also they can come up to the North Hall or to the Upper South Hall and get some training as well. Yeah, so I think, you know, as I said, we've been delivering repair-driven education since 2010 with SEMA and have really been a strategic partner in, in what goes on with the show and what the experience looks like. And I think our objective has always been um, to have a sense of focus of the industry within the show, but then open up the opportunity to explore some of those other areas, right? Um, I think one of the challenges when we were in North Hall was that there wasn't as much room to grow. You had uh, a limited amount of space in the North Hall, and so you had other collision vendors who were also in Westgate or other overflow lots or things along those lines and didn't have the ability to increase uh, booth sizes, and you didn't have the ability to pull in new entrants to the industry into that spot where they really wanted to be. I think what's beautiful about the move to Upper South Hall is that it really opens up, brings everybody in our industry under one hall's roof, and gives a sense of focus where you feel like you are in a collision industry trade show within this overall show. Um, I think that focus is beneficial for our businesses, and it is... Uh, adjoined directly by the education rooms. Um, so it really gives that easy experience for the buyer to go back and forth from the trade show floor to a classroom with content that they're looking for and then back to the trade show floor as they're looking for solutions. Um, I think that this experience is not only going to give a better user uh, kind of flow through the week, but I think it's also going to give a lot of room for the collision industry to grow as we, as we really take ownership of this Upper South Hall. So. And it's it's a massive hall. I, got, I found myself kind of getting turned around in there. It's 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 its own ecosystem. You kind of forget that, you know, you walk ten minutes and you can go see all the other other cars and go outside and see all that stuff. You really, it feels like a, a typical trade show. So I agree with you in that. One last thing I wanted to touch on during the breakfast this morning, the red carpet breakfast. You guys handed out some awards. I'd love for you to touch on that. And one in particular, you gave one to Jeff Peavy, and the whole room stood up and clapped for him. It, it was a really special moment. It was the only time that happened throughout the day. And so if you could just comment on that and what he has meant to, to this industry. Yeah, I, you know, I think that one of the things that earmarks SCRS's awards is they come from the heart. They're, they're, they're really, um, we try to recognize just the people in this industry who, who make meaningful impact. And, and they're always special for us to give. I think Brett made the comment that we don't give every award every year. We don't have to give these. We wait for the right opportunities to give them to the right people who earned them at that moment in time. 
Um, and, you know, Jeff certainly earned this one. And, and I think what's special about that moment that you talked about, uh, this was actually an award that was identified for him uh, April a year ago. Uh, it would have been at our annual meeting, and it got canceled because of the, the current climate. Uh, and, you know, we made the decision that it wouldn't be right to give something like this virtually. You want, you want people to be recognized in a room of their peers. You want them to feel that energy. You want them to be able to see the people stand and applaud. You want them to get the tears in their eyes and hear what they mean to others around them. And I think that's what happened this morning. I'm really glad we waited. I'm really glad he got to experience that. Um, it, you know, that's what makes things like this special. And, and, and there's nothing better. Listen, this is a close-knit industry. We all know each other well. There's a lot of good friends uh, within it, it's it's nice to be able to recognize your friends and your peers and tell them what they mean to you, right? Uh, and I think that was what happened here. Awesome. Well, Aaron, I appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of the conference, your busy schedule, and, and we look forward to seeing the summit and everything going on the rest of the week. Appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for covering it, and we'll see you next year. Lastly, Paul talks with Repairify Chief Technology Officer Morris Tuff about Repairify's unification of its brands, evolving technology in the industry, and some of the biggest misconceptions with calibration. Hello and welcome back. I'm Paul Hodawanik, staff writer for Fender Bender on the SEMA shop floor. With me right now is Morris Tuff, the Chief Technology Officer of Repairify. How are you doing today, Morris? Doing great. Thanks for having me. How's the show been for you so far? I think people were a little worried on how many people would be here just with all, all that's transpired, but especially today, it seems busier than it was yesterday. How's the experience been for you so far? Well, I think you're right there. It is busier today than it was yesterday, but uh we're enjoying it, and I think that the people who really wanted to get out here, the, the movers and shakers, arrived. So uh, in that sense, the right people are, are here at this time. Well, I want to first touch on Repairify has brought all of its brands kind of under one umbrella. You're kind of not consolidating, but kind of taking a more uniform approach to how you're presenting the brands overall. I guess from your perspective, why did that come about? How did that come about? And what are you hoping that does for you guys? Well, there is a strategy to it all. While it looks like different companies, uh, you look at Blue Driver and you look at uh, Mobile Tech RX and, and you look at Aztec and you say, well, are they all over the place? Well, in fact, no. What we're doing is we're consolidating under Repairify in order to build a full ecosystem where someone brings in their vehicle to be repaired from soup to nuts, start to, be, start to end, we will help in that repair process. And all of those companies play a part. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so is the future then, what, what's the future goal there with that, bringing it all in? Like what, what, is, what are you guys hoping to attain with it? Well, when you're doing brand marketing, you want you know, one brand that everyone can identify with. And are you Aztec, are you Blue Drive, are you Mobile Tech RX? That can get confusing. So part of it is simply, let's simplify this for the customer. So you speak of Repairify. So that's one part of it. But then also, there's a lot of different people in these different companies. We want to get everyone working together, understanding that we're on one mission and that we're on the same team. And so bringing again under Repairify, that helps. You guys are obviously on the cutting edge of a lot of new technology coming into the space and trying to be on the forefront of that. Um, what is your view on what an automotive technician is going to be? Because obviously our shop owners are trying to evolve and that comes with new products, that comes with new training. But from your perspective, like. What is the future technician going to look like? He's, he or she will be a learner. They have no choice uh, but to continue to learn and to continue to educate themselves on the new technology that are going to be that's brought out to actually service these vehicles. They're becoming more and more complex every year. This is not a secret. Everyone understands that. So the new technician will be a learner. 
Awesome. Um, how do you feel like shops can better prepare for the future, whether that's EVs or just technology, AI, ADOS, just all that? What do you, what do you feel like are the biggest keys, biggest steps that they need to take to make sure they're ready for that? Again, it's, it's about learning. What I would recommend any shop is see what's out there, what suppliers are out there. Pick a few trusted suppliers that you know are keeping up with all the new technology and all the new changes. Repairify does exactly that. So we have a lot of people looking out over the horizon, making sure that we understand what the new technologies are coming on stream. We'll solve that problem. We have great customers who trust us, and then we'll help those shops prepare for all the new technology. What do you think some of the like biggest misconceptions are still with calibration, with diagnostics? What aren't people understanding about it? What are they not? What what's still still kind of people are still not quite grasping yet? Uh, some of it is that it ha- actually has to be done, right? There, do you have to reset that sensor? Yes, you do. So making sure that the calibrations actually get done and get done right. These are safety systems. All this ADAS systems in the vehicle. You have to calibrate those properly. You guys have gotten some private equity money that's come in recently. Does that change any the path, like how big you guys want to get, anything in terms of what you're doing on the day-to-day? Has that affected much? Well, it has helped us. So when you have access to capital, you can set out and execute on your vision. So with working with Kinderhook, a great private equity firm, we're able to say, look, we need this company over here to plug in in order to bring value to our customers. What do you think? And they support us 100%. And that's what we're doing. So access to that capital is, is critical. And that's all we've got for you today on Collision Cast. Check back tomorrow for another update from the SEMA show floor. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Noah Brown, and we'll see you next time.